Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we hear stories from everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Well, today I get to sit down with my cousin, Jerome, who did a podcast with me a few months back about, uh, about wine. He's an advanced level psalm, and this time we just shoot from the hip and pretty much talk about anything and everything uh, outside of wine, really, this time. So really interesting guy. Glad to sit down with them. And again, if you want to support the podcast and help keep this thing going, just get over to Patreon and look up Sailing Into Oblivion. And big special shout out to all, all the patrons I already have. You guys are really helping me out, and I'm hoping to actually get some new microphones here pretty soon. So appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the podcast. Check check levels. Yeah, is it good? I think I'm reading it pretty loud and clear, man. All right, man. Shooting from the hip with my cousin J-Realm, repeat offender on the podcast. Welcome, brother. Thank you. Cousin. Thank you. Happy to be here yet again. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I, I can't get over going up to... Keep that mic close. Like that, is that better? Scoot forward, do whatever you have to do. I want to make sure the people can hear you. And well, more than that, I just don't want to have to go back and edit and amplify do little it again. sections. <laughs> I'm lazy. Oh, <laughs> oh That's man, a bad idea. dude, you use the little uh, thingy. We're just getting situated here. It's kind of early on a crispy eight degree morning up here in northern Michigan. We've been having a pretty good time hanging out, trying to solve the world's problems up here, and just one bottle at a time, really. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's the. It's a blessing and a curse when you have a psalm come up here. You can't really get away from the wine and the and the scotch and things yep. like that. But um, no, I think honestly, the first thing I want to talk about is just that that movie that you had us watch, uh, the Guy Ritchie film, The Gentleman. That was unbelievable. So much fun. I could not. I <laughs> I was actually trying to work it through my head uh, this morning, how all those twists and turns and everything and and. Yeah, I mean, not like I'm going to do any spoilers or, or anything, but my God, that was good. It's so much fun. <sighs> Absolutely impressive. I mean, I've always liked his stuff because his other ones are Lock, Sock, and Two Smoking Barrels, mm-hmm. Snatch. Snatch. Are there other ones? Yeah, he's made uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies were his, and then he dabbled in the, the King Arthur uh, re- imaginative retelling. Um I think he's best known, especially for American audiences, for for Snatch. Yeah, um, that was a huge hit. And then the man from Uncle was also awesome. Yeah, I love that movie too. Um, I think I'm not really. I love that that crime genre. I don't. I'm not as into like the 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 marijuana world that's outside of my like general day to day scope. But right. it worked so well. For what they were doing. Oh yeah, oh, it's, it was just I don't know when I when I see that. I mean, I'm normally not sort of a, a big like violent movie sort of person, but when they throw those twists and turns, and you've got I don't know. I mean, that cast of characters is unbelievable. I couldn't believe that was uh, 
It's uh, Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. Yeah. Holy smokes. I mean, you know. And the framing devices, like knowing that they're talking about a movie and then Hugh Grant's character talks about like, the script he wrote, about the story that the audience is watching. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's very, the, the framing is very well done and the skips back and forward in time are very well done and the kind of, the way that kind of pokes fun at, at itself about like the lip reading part where they're trying to, to, oh, to yeah. translate and transcribe the conversation <laughs> at the soccer stadium from Cantonese to English. That's hilarious. Um, so I, yeah, I love yeah, that movie. That was cool. I just wanted to, yeah. Cause I, I feel like you could actually, that, that'd be kind of interesting. And I know there's a lot of podcasts out there where they do, they just peel through movies and pick them apart. Mm. And there was one pretty funny one I used to listen to. Um, had the guys from that show, the league, and it was uh, oh, like how did this get made? Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! I mean, because it has a lot of movies from back in the eighties and nineties that I remember watching and being like, "Oh yeah, geez, I remember how bad that one was." I don't know that podcast, but I'll look into it. It's pretty funny. It yeah. Definitely will. They have, they have some pretty good ones. <laughs> well, other than that, so you flew in from New York. How's how's uh, the Big Apple? City's great. Yeah. Um, it is. I have this love hate relationship with New York. Yeah, because it really is, you know, one of the greatest cities in the world, and you can get anything at any time for pretty much any amount of money, um, and there's a lot of convenience to it. But I also, I don't know. I miss like space. You know, I miss this. Yeah, the wide open plains of northern Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> tall trees everywhere, and like quiet and 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 not. Not lonely, but just like less, like less people. Like it's it's really wild how you can't walk down any sidewalk that I've been on. At least you're never alone. There's never enough room. All the people are walking at different paces, so you're kind of having to like the strides are all different. So you might have to pass someone because you're going like half a step faster than they are. Yeah, and it, it's it's this constant barrage of cars and lights and sirens and people and dog shit and and just everything and it's a lot of input it's a lot of input um there are people that have cars in the city i don't because it's just one more thing to kind of deal with yeah yeah there's street parking but you, it's illegal like for two hours on a random tuesday morning every week they gotta actually move your car oh, so they can like clean the streets clean, and yeah i there's, there's just a lot of stuff that you kind of give up to live there and i wish we didn't have to give those things up um, and you could probably get a similar experience. Like when we lived in Chicago and we had like a dishwasher and we had a garage and we lived in a world-class city with amazing food. And now we're, we're, when you were in Chicago, were you in the suburbs? Uh, we were in a neighborhood called West town. So we were like 10 or 15 minutes outside of like downtown Chicago proper. Oh, okay, okay. But we weren't like, like way out an hour away, like taking the train to work or anything like that. It was just one of the, one of the neighborhoods in Chicago. But in New York is Brooklyn. Is that on Manhattan? No, so Manhattan is like the island of Manhattan. Yeah. And then just to the east are the boroughs of Brooklyn, Queens, and the Bronx. And then Staten Island is another little island like on the southwest off of Manhattan. And then there's New Jersey that slopes up. Okay, yeah. okay. And yeah. then the the you would I don't know. I I don't know about technically, but why when I think of like the suburbs of, of New York, you're kind of inching a little bit farther north into like Yonkers, New Rochelle, and then Westchester County. Right. Um, so these little towns like Chappaqua and Katona and even far like Poughkeepsie, a little bit farther north, where you can commute down in like an hour, hour and 15 minutes on the train. 
And they get right to the city. Like yeah. right, right, right in, like, yeah, Grand Central, like right downtown. Do you ha- have any desire to actually live on Manhattan? We, I had Did lived you? there, I lived there before in, a, in, a, in an even smaller apartment. Um, you, you can kind of get what you pay for, you know? So you can get a really great apartment in New York City if you have lots of money to spend on that. Uh, you can take the same amount of money and get a giant house, <laughs> you know, like four oh, minutes outside of it. Right, right. So it, it just depends on the things that you kind of value. And right now there is a fun allure of New York. This was why we went there in the first place. It was like February of 2020. So it was just before COVID really hit. Yeah. We haven't really been able to enjoy all the things that New York can offer. Yeah. And it hasn't gone back to normal yet. It's starting <clears throat> to thaw out a little bit. That's what I hear. Well, I, I know you had talked there about, you know, having to present, you know, vaccine passport mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I, I don't know. I've seen some stuff on the news that New York was lifting all that. Or maybe it's just New York State. I think it's, yeah, so New York State, the governor um, is lifting the mask mandates, not for public transportation or, as far as I know, public transportation and, like, hospitals, I think. Right, um, right. But, like, smaller like grocery stores and things like that you should be able to go to different businesses i guess also i'm not an expert on this yeah yeah oh neither am i (laughs) um but different businesses it sounds like has their own discretion about if they want to enforce mask mandates or not inside their stores yeah for you know out here when you go to like larger grocery stores like meyer or you go to like walmart or costco and there's so much space and the ceilings are so tall yeah it might not make much of a difference new york the grocery store i go to is like the size of this room Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they're little tiny. What do they call them? They're not like bodegas. bodegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then there's like slightly larger grocery stores. It might be this room plus that room. It's not much bigger. Yeah. But the ceiling is like 11 feet high, and the shelves are super packed. You so feel, yeah, yeah, you're crunched. You're very in, like, trapped in there. See, it's so funny. A lot of the things, that, uh, references that you make, the only the only knowledge of them I'll ever have is is from movies, because I've never been to New York. I think, I think I did an overnight there when I was a child, you know, with my parents when we were flying somewhere. Yeah. Other than that, I've only driven past it, and I mean, it... I'm not going to lie. It terrifies me. Those big cities, <laughs> man. Me I'm too. <laughs> growing up small town and all that sort of stuff. And then obviously spending a lot of my time in the biggest wide open expanses on the planet. Yeah. And feel well, the very, horizon just goes to infinity. Like very just, comfortable out yeah. there. And I, I, I've talked to plenty of people that look at me cross-eyed when I say that. And they think, holy cow, I'd be terrified to be sitting 700 miles away from the nearest land. Especially alone. Yeah. And I think to myself, you live in New York City, <laughs> and I feel like you're going to get stabbed or shot or <laughs> hit by a car or a falling building or something. I don't know. Well, the terrifying elements out, like, what were you terrified of when you were out there? Like, it, it doesn't sound like it was the loneliness of the expanse. I'm sure that there's, like, things like weather. Um, uh, oh, when I'm out at sea? Yeah. Honestly, yeah, I mean, I'm always sort of worried about some big monster storm coming. Um, I'd say the more poignant things that I, I can become very frightened of pretty quickly would be if some pretty curious whales start coming around. Um, or sometimes in the middle of the night when you're, when you're crossing a pretty heavy shipping lane, then it gets a little uh, nerve-wracking because eventually you're going to have to go to sleep. Right. And you know there's ships sort of around... And there, there's definitely been times where 
I'll I'll be up for over 24 hours because it's just a constant string of traffic. Yeah. And that's that's probably I would say the most realistic realistic threat that a solo sailor has when they're out there is that they're going to get run down by one of these big big giants cuz it's you know it's not like they've got a guy with binoculars sitting on the tip of the front of the boat. Yeah. It's just not happening. <laughs> and even though we've got a lot of good technology and and things like that Still, it happens. People yeah. get people get run over, and 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 a lot of times the sh- big ships they're so big they don't even know it. I mean, I I passed some of the biggest ones. I, you know, when I first started out ocean sailing back in like 2000, if you saw a ship that was like 800 feet, it was like, whoa, look at the size of that one. It's huge, yeah. and they were moving really fast. And now, um, I it's pretty common to to pass by ships that are over a thousand feet. I think the biggest one I want to say was like 399 meters, which would be just about 1200 feet Jeez, or something. Yeah. And it's moving at, at 14, 15 knots, just fully loaded with enough goods to probably supply the Island of Puerto Rico for <laughs> a month. You know, who knows? It's crazy. Have you ever worn like a, like a, like a heart rate monitor or a sleep tracker or anything like that? When no, I think the sleep tracker would probably contact the the hospital directly <laughs> and be like, "This guy's gonna die soon." <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine because you know, typically, typically it's a couple hours here, a couple hours there. Sometimes it's it's thirty minutes. Sometimes it's five hours, but that's pretty rare. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know, and I don't think one of those trackers could really do it all that well just because of the whole motion of the boat. Maybe and yeah, you're getting tossed around. Right? Yeah, I mean every time because I I wonder how those those rings actually can sense when you've when you've actually woken up or when you're when you've just rolled over but you're still asleep. Yeah, because if I'm getting tossed around but I'm actually asleep, I don't know. It would be kind of interesting. I think it would be really cool. Yeah, there's no control group. We just like take the data, see what it says. Yeah, and then corroborate it with your own. Like, oh yeah, I, I was. That was the night of the storm. Or yeah, that was when this thing happened. Ah, and you can see like the chunk yeah. where you like you actually did get up. Right, right. Because there's sometimes yeah, like I'm wearing mine and we're just watching a movie, um, like after dinner. And the next day, like you got 12 hours of sleep. You went to bed at like 8:05. And I'm like, no, I didn't. Let's let's adjust that. A I was just bit. watching TV. I was just so relaxed. I was very calm. <laughs> I was watching a drama. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely not a Guy Ritchie film. No, that probably. one, the heart rate starts <laughs> humping. Oh man. Well, yeah. I don't know. I I'm still actually uh, trying to sort out my my sleeping patterns and stuff. It takes a long time to get back to a point where I can sleep for like seven hours. Yeah. Um, you know, even when, even when I'm on the boat tied to a dock or I'm in, you know, a house somewhere, it's still, it usually, I want to say it probably takes about three months for me if I've been out at sea for over, over a month. And yeah. this last one, I think I was out there for 66 days or 75 days, something like that. Mm-hmm. There's probably a, an already standardized way of, of doing this for ocean faring people. What time zone do you keep? Uh, it's always changing, actually. So it's like local, like you keep the lo- like whatever time zone you're in. You're not, you yeah. don't anchor it to like northern Michigan or or to Maine. No, I I will typically keep uh, one little ship's clock, and for me, it's always been a little pocket watch mm-hmm. uh, that I actually ended up giving away uh, to a family member. But it it 
I would keep that on, like, for instance, the first trip, it was on Gloucester time. Right. So it was just always stuck there. Um, but no, I keep I keep moving with it mostly because you sort of want to stay in the proper um, navigation state. Yeah. Because if everything fails and you haven't been, you know, say say your GPS and all your electronics go out and you haven't really been on top of changing time zones and you're actually three time zones away, it'll eventually you'll be able to use the sextant and the almanacs to be able to get your position, but it'll probably take a little bit longer and, and it'll be definitely a lot more frustrating to in figure addition, it out. And if you get in that position, I'm sure that everything else is failing. You're know, like, well, let's get the, the trusty sextant and the almanac in yeah. the midst of all this chaos and hang tight while I get a position fixed. Right. As long <laughs> as the sun is up and the conditions are good, all that stuff. So yeah. I don't know. It's it really just comes down to sort of old school proper seamanship of 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 always doing that, and it, it's but it's it's also kind of abstract too because it's not like I cross a certain uh, longitude and I'm like oh better time it you know it's time to switch it over right for me it's just you know oh the sun came up at four this morning so I think I need to put that clock a, little, a little further bit. ahead yeah because yeah. you know normally. I'm moving east first, so the clock is always moving forward. And then, yeah, on the big trip around the world, I was, I think I was probably changing time zone every seven days or something, something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah, I mean, it it just sneaks up on you that the crazy part is when you get to the international dateline, dateline. Yeah. Yeah, Cause I, I really didn't know what I was supposed to do. And eventually, I believe it was March 10th, where I sort of realized that I was off by a day through just communicating with people from home. And Mm -hmm. so I ended up having March 10th twice. (laughs) 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 So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Oh, man, I've I've been sort of in this different uh, dimension. As you go west, you're you're underneath the sun longer, right? Do you have like longer... Uh, days or is it, you're not going that fast i'd like to think so but yeah i'm not going that fast i mean i i'll move typically maybe 100 150 miles if i'm really pushing it mm-hmm. and if yeah if you're going due west that might give you five more minutes gotcha i'm not sure what the okay. calculation would be but if you're on one of those boats that's well it's, it's like being on an airplane mm-hmm. if you're heading from new york to la that sunset was gonna last you because you're doing 500 miles an hour right so well, and on the subject of boats, I'm, I'm going to get up and add some uh, some wood to that fire. But oh, you yeah. want to talk about uh, this this lovely ship that you have? I got to find out. We got we got a bit of a quandary here, um, you know. And this is actually something that does happen in in the boating world uh, quite often, where you have a family member that owns a boat that is sort of that's their thing and they they pretty much do everything with it and then in this case as your father passed away a few years ago and uh and now you guys have a boat yeah and it's like well what what do we do now <laughs> and uh yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of interesting because it's also in such an unusual place yep that it's definitely going to be a little bit hard to uh figure out exactly how you can deal with it because one of the drawbacks to owning a boat is that no matter what, unless you have it parked on your property, it's going to cost you money constantly. Yeah. I'm looking for I'm looking for some more details so I can so I can speak a little bit more um, 
a, a little bit more um, intelligently about it. It's a 58 Sparkman and Stevens old wooden boat. Like old, an old wooden boat. Yeah, it's, boat. it's definitely a classic. I mean, I've only seen a couple of pictures of it, but it's definitely uh, it's one of those old beauties that uh, you know would be a labor of love to yeah to own and operate. And I and if I recall, it is it is very well it's it's well maintained. The the um the not the maintenance, but like the general upkeep and the initial complete rebuild of it um, for, from the from the uh, boat workshop up in up in Cedarville, Michigan, on the UP. They've done a really miraculous job. It is a yeah, fifty eight fully restored thirty six foot Sparkman Stevens mahogany. And just and just gorgeous, um, and I'll see if I can find some pictures and, and share them with you. Were you able to get out and do a lot of sailing on it? <laughs> no, not at all. Did you ever sail on it? Yeah, we sailed on it a few times, but like the amount of money that Dad initially paid for and then put into it, we probably all could have gone down to the islands a few times and like chartered our own boat and then come back and had just an absolute blast of vacation. Right, right. Like lodging, food, air, the whole nine, all included. Oh, I, I've done that calculation with my boat, and and not so much my boat, but the uh, the trips that I go on. Yeah, because they they invariably cost quite a bit of money. And here's some pictures of the in, of the uh, exterior, and then there's some interior photos as well. It's it I mean it's beautiful. Oh yeah, she is gorgeous. Holy smokes! I got a photo album from the original owner, based in Ann Arbor. We were going through that a little bit, and um, and then yeah, Dad got it, and and. Had all worked up by by Murtop in Cedarville. That's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. I know you said it was a 1958. That's right. So it's older than Sparrow. Sparrow's is 75. Wow, this is old classic, man. Yeah, if it still looks like that, I, I think, uh, I don't know. Part of me still sort of agrees that uh, it's all about getting it out of the UP. Yep. Because that is one hard place. For anybody to get to, to do just like a quick, take a tour of it and everything. Yeah. I don't know. I think maybe we ought to sail it down to Chicago. I am very down. <laughs> I wonder, I don't know, uh, you know, I've, I'm probably the only Michigan sailor who's never done the Chicago to Mac or the other one that they have, but uh, that'd be kind of a fun time to do it. Yeah. And I'll, I mean, it, so this has done the, the Mackinac to Port Huron race before. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, my brother, my brother Pat got in touch with the original owner uh, in in Ann Arbor, and they went through some of the history and and discussed the provenance and hope that whole goal of that call was to kind of I think get more proof to demonstrate where it came from and how it is what it says it is what we say it says it is. Yeah, I think that call went really well. I haven't spoken to him really since, but I got a few like headlines of it. But yeah, it, it's it's a pretty impressive boat. Yeah, no, it looks and it will definitely looks beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, wooden boats are always a little scary to me just because I know how much work they're to go into them and stuff. But, yeah. you know, that's only because I'm always doing all the work myself. I mean, I don't know. But that, that whole prominence thing is, is pretty crazy when it comes to because a lot of boats have, you know, basically they've got designers so so somebody designed them so in this case it's sparkman stevens mm -hmm. but it doesn't it's not like they have their warehouse where they're building them that's just the design and pretty much anybody can build them gotcha i don't know enough about this part of the world right right well so you know it can be a really high-end 
shipyard that builds it, or it can, you know, be Joe Schmo with his little shop. And who knows which one's going to be better, but I mean, experts definitely would. Is it sure. analogous to like a designer putting up like 3D printing instructions somewhere on the internet and then me downloading it and running it on my own like 3D printer? Uh, I would think so. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like it, it really is because it's, it's, you have the, the design, the idea, but then you've actually got the who's putting it together and all that. I mean, right. with, with uh, the West Sale 32, those were all built out in uh, the factory out on the West Coast, but they were also sold in two forms. So you could buy it as a complete completed boat, mm -hmm. which I believe Sparrow was. And then you could also buy them as a kit boat. So you're basically buying the hull. Huh. And then I think all of the wood and everything that you needed for the interior and then you would build it yourself gotcha. so a lot of west sales have these really crazy custom interiors they're all essentially the same because mm -hmm. um, they're not huge boats obviously but i've been on a few where you know you look at them you're like wow okay so the guy did this and right and you can really tell what the 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 owner was sort of more interested in like my my boat has a gigantic nav station so it has a table that i can lay out giant world charts completely flat unrolled right um, and most west sales the the nav table is no bigger than this little coffee table gotcha and so i wouldn't like if i wanted to use my charts on that you wouldn't be able to just they'd be, be folded over. three times yeah and so and i have i've always hated that but it's you know when i'm out at sea i'm i'm doing these big trips and so i gotta have that and and the other one is that i have um a booth table set up so that four people could sit and like have dinner cool and that's just something that i've always enjoyed you know sitting around in there with a bunch of people and you get the little hanging light yeah because i always love that scene in jaws where they're having a couple of drinks around the dinner table um right before the shark starts pounding the the crap out of the boat here's the interior of the of annalise oh, let's see oh wow that's cool yeah she oh that's pretty that's real pretty i love the arch beams and stuff yeah it's gorgeous yeah, and that's that's a very very traditional traditional layout with, you know, you've got the settee which is sort of the couch, mm -hmm. and then the nice little table there that sort of folds up, and then it looks like you've got a little, I guess that'd be a pilot cabin or something like that. Oh, that's cool, man. Boy, it's a lot of wood, <laughs> a lot of wood. Scares me that stuff, but I. I've had to deal with like the cap rail on my boat right now. The big project is the bowsprit, mm -hmm. which is all wood. It's three layered things coming together, and I've taken it completely apart. And the only problem was it took it apart. I'm down to South Carolina. We don't have a heated workshop, so to do all the epoxy and and the varnishing and everything correctly, it can't be done when it's 35 degrees. Right. So I figured, you know what? I'll go up to Michigan. Hang out up here. Love it. Get some people in. and uh, It's a gorgeous day outside, too. Dude, oh, I just, yeah. I mean, it's 8 degrees Fahrenheit, but there's sun with a little bit of clouds, and there's like, what? What do you think? That's a foot of snow? Uh, Easily. And that's after it rained all Wednesday. Yeah. And it's going to snow more tonight. It should, yeah. And then I did see there's some sort of winter weather warning coming up. 
uh, on this weekend. So who Great. knows? Maybe you might be flying out, bud. Snowed in. <laughs> Love to. I mean, we've got enough firewood and turkey and ham. <coughs> I think we'll be all right. And, and pasta. If we make it make it to the liquor store and get some more wine, I think we'll, I think be, we'll right. be okay. Although we could raid raid the the little cellar here, but who knows? Who oh, knows? I would never do that. I would never do that to whoever might be listening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure my mom will listen to this. Well, it would be fun, man. Yeah. Get out there on the slopes tonight. I've always, always loved night skiing. It it definitely there's just something about doing that out there, and I mean. I guess the same for me with sailing too. I've always liked night sailing. I mm-hmm. mean, used to go on Walloon, and nighttime was always the best. Those are some of my favorite memories is going on with like you and Adam night sailing. And then one night, I think we were in the West Arm, and it, it the wind completely died, and we put out some like oars, yeah, from the the cabin. And started like actually paddling, and we took turns <laughs> laying down on the bow, like paddling, moving at point two of a knot. So that that would have been on on a Pearson ensign, so twenty two feet long. Mm. And uh, oh man, yeah, the number of times we've been becalmed out there, and it, you know it's funny because as the years went on, you start to sort of become a little smarter too. The weather patterns, yeah, and, you'd hope so at least. Yeah, I mean, and and it, it ended up that. Anytime we ever tried to go out when the winds were coming from the north, it always ended up dying around midnight. Yeah. But it took a lot of times learning that. Yep. There was one where Patrick uh, Pickle Pickle, <laughs> and I went out, and uh, we got stuck almost all the way at the far end, and it took us, I think, four hours to paddle back. Yep. And, you know, having an engine on that or something like that would have probably been pretty helpful, too, but... I've had we we have one on the the boat now, and I remember the last time I had to use it, I ended up running out of fuel. <laughs> I was like, ah, one of these days I'm gonna get this right. Best laid plans. Mm. Oh man, <sighs> well our fire has gone out. Yeah, we'll take care of that later. And I can feel it. <laughs> well, I uh, what else? What else you want to talk about as we're shooting from the hip? I don't know, man. I um, I saw the logs from before. I I haven't read them or anything, but I, as I was I was walking by them and looking through them. You you said you do it every every like two or three days. You oh the ship's logs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, so I yeah. I mean, I have the right now in the corner of this room. I have a little table set up because I'm I'm working on this book about the doldrums, and so I have all the old ship's log books, and those those are filled in. Typically, I do it. F- Every six hours. Every six hours. Yeah. Wow. So each day we'll have four different entries on it. And then if something else happens out of the ordinary or something like that. Something then, breaks or. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That always gets logged in there and such. But yeah. So, you know, that's that's probably one of the nicest parts about writing any sort of book about sailing as far as actually going out and doing it. Mm-hmm. Because you have these records that you can keep going back to. Yeah. And, you know, just check them out, and it's funny because you forget stuff. It's it's a lot like just a journal, right? And I have that accompanying it as well. But I'm essentially trying to recreate a trip across the doldrums through telling stories that relate to the different feelings on that sort of roller coaster ride 
getting through. So normally you're sort of excited when you get down to the doldrums. Mm -hmm. And then usually you get either becalmed or you get flattened by a big squall. And so your morale sort of drops a little bit and then you get really becalmed. And then I'll tell stories about that. And then, uh, and then you start to break free, but there's always this false hope of it. And then you get becalmed again and then you get like really depressed. And it's kind of this really interesting place of just what I've always found. It's a place of balance mm-hmm. and it's, but it's balance in two very big extremes where you're either, it's either completely flat, calm and clear skies with maybe big, fluffy, beautiful, kind looking clouds. Mm-hmm. And then the next day it's blowing 30 knots. It's raining on you. There's lightning striking all around. Jeez. And, and then, then it'll go back to the other way again. <laughs> And it sort of does that back and forth. It's just such an unusual place. Mm-hmm. And I've always, I've always really loved and hated it. But it's that whole idea of this balance uh, right there, pretty much on the center line of our planet. Yeah. And it's, it is. It's just it's a, a strange place. And not a lot of people venture out that far to yeah. go and, and see it. And I've been fortunate enough to experience it in a lot of different places. Uh, seasons of the years i mean i the one trip which was pretty exceptional was to be down in the doldrums in september when basically that's the the cooking pot for the hurricanes because everything's coming off of africa right yeah heading towards the caribbean yeah you typically have two two areas where the hurricanes in the north atlantic form down in the Gulf, because that's just tons of hot water, mm-hmm. and then coming off of Africa. And typically, the ones off of Africa start as big storm cells in the Congo mm-hmm. and work their way out. And if the water, if the surface level water is, I believe, 84 degrees or higher, which it almost always is now in that time of year, then that that will just accelerate. Huh. And as soon as it starts to spin, then you've got yourself a hurricane. Wow. And, and they're, you know, they've got a couple thousand miles to travel before they even reach the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. But it's it sort of depends on how where they're forming because they almost always are going to start turning north mm-hmm. eventually. Some do, some don't. Some of them meander a little bit, but the typical path is come a good way across the Atlantic and then start sweeping north. Right. I think like poor Bermuda is. Is like right in the middle of the perfect normal path of hurricanes, and they've—if you've ever been out there—they have—they've adapted to it. I think better than any other place uh, in the Atlantic. They've—they've they've built everything super tough so that it's sort of like a hurricane comes and they just close the storm shutters. Right. There's no—I don't think there's any like telephone poles and things like that. I don't think they even. It's really, all underground. I'm pretty sure they just buckled it down because they—they literally get hit every year. Yeah. So. At some you know, point, you're like, yeah, it's like, all right, guys, <laughs> let's just make it really, really tough because right. it, it'd be, and and it's in a small island, so it's doable compared to, you know, Florida. Right, it's gonna be pretty hard to buckle Florida <laughs> down. Nobody buckles Florida <laughs> down. And I can say that because my bro lives there. <laughs> well, and you and you also tell me about how I remember hearing for the first time that that you you ran into whatever the weather was down there and you're getting sand 
from oh, Africa. Oh, the Sahara dust. In your boat, yeah. Yeah, Which is mind-boggling yeah. to me who doesn't understand. I mean, I've never researched weather patterns or, or global phenomenon like that. And yeah. so hearing that... It, I did like a triple take. I'm like, wait a second. Let me do the math there. Like the sand is out there. <laughs> well, believe it or not, the sand reaches the Caribbean. That was going to be what I was going to ask after this. Yeah. So if you there's there's um, different sort of infrared uh, websites that show the satellite footage of you know I don't know if it's infrared that shows it or not, but basically it just these big plumes of. Sahara dust will rock off of that continent, and then they'll make their way all the way to the Caribbean, where you know we'd be working in the British Virgin Islands, and yeah, it'd be it'd be like a hazy day, as if you were in like Los Angeles or something. Wow! And it's all just Sahara dust. I mean, we also were affected by uh, Montserrat, which is an island about halfway down the chain that's very active volcano. I mm -hmm. think, I think I can't remember what year it was. I think it was either in the 90s or in the 2000s when it buried one of their towns, like a real volcano, wow. like literally lava just burying places. Yeah. Um, but you can always smell it. I've sailed past it a bunch of times, and it's always still still active for sure. Yeah. That's what there's a there's a, a wine from uh, Sicily, and Mount Etna is still a very active volcano. Oh and it, it yeah. Explodes yeah. like frequently like more than you and i would think a volcano would explode like one or two times a year i think really maybe less frequently than that but still like every, every it feels like all the time i'll pull up you know the news and it knows that i search for wine and right, stuff. right. So keep it, but every once in a while i'll be like yep etna exploded again there's like you know the giant lava shooting out of the thing coming down the mountain and you get to see these gorgeous photos of like this it's at night and it's like the mountain in the background, all the super hot orange lava coming down. And then the lights of the town just underneath it. That, like. see, that to me just sounds absolutely insane. To I mean, I live, I grew up up in northern Michigan, which is probably one of the, the, the most pretty tame volcano-wise. Yeah, well, volcano, we don't get hurricanes. We rarely get tornadoes because of all the hills and the water. The only thing that we get that we've just become so accustomed to is, you know, blizzards yeah. in the wintertime. And maybe that's maybe that's the the key that I'm not noticing is that, you know, people down in the Caribbean, they just get used to the hurricanes. Yeah. People in, you know, out west get used to the droughts and, and all that. But I don't know. I I've always just I I never thought, oh man, I'd like to move down to Florida. The first thing I think of is, well, what about the hurricanes, man? You lose your whole house. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's like the Eskimos have like 28 words for snow. Yeah, know, yeah, Because right. there's like all the different types of snow. And it's, it's the Inuit. Is it the Inuit? Excuse Let's, me. We don't do racism. I apologize. That's my... <laughs> I just remember from out cold. That's... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, right. God. Well, I'll tell you, because we are going uh, night skiing tonight, we do have to watch a ski movie today. I think we should watch Out Cold. To get pumped up. Yeah. That's an old one. I know. It's one Out of my Cold, favorites. Ski Patrol. Ski Patrol 2 is kind of a joke. We already watched Hot Tub Time Machine. Hot Tub Time Machine, yeah. Well, you watched, what, three minutes of it and then I fell watched, asleep? Yeah, I got into when they got to Cave Owls. <laughs> and, Cave then I, and then I and woke up with Motley Lou <laughs> uh, at the end. It's uh, uh, uh. such a good movie. I, I remember, I think it was Adam told me about it and we sat down and watched it and I'm just thinking what stupid movie hot tub time machine oh yeah really oh yeah and within about 10 minutes I was like this is great 
This I mean, is, John, I'm in for a good good ride. I think just at the beginning, John Cusack moving through his house is a pretty dramatic. Like you, that is a very well acted little scene at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah. When he comes home and all of his stuff is gone, he's got little red stickers. The dots. Like the, the 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 photography and the movement of the camera and the way he's looking around and the way that it synced perfectly to the voicemail that he was listening to. And he like kind of snorts up his beer when he when she realizes oh, the TV's yeah. gone. And then it cuts to him like sitting in the chair just like this. He's got the red sticker on his forehead. That's pretty good. Or he like looks at the note and just throws it away and keeps like it's. There's a quality in that scene, and then ten minutes later, it's like the montage in the hot tub with like the chipmunk and the yeah, guy in the bear yeah, yeah. costume, and it's a ridiculous movie. But I I really do I love it. It's fun. Well, I need Sebastian anybody. Stan is the ski patrol guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, who was later in Endgame, Marvel's The Avengers Endgame, and then they reference Hot Tub Time Machine as one of the movies that got time travel wrong. Oh really? Yeah. Oh man, there's that whole theory about like you know there's there's this sort of universe uh, that all a lot of these movies live in. Yeah. And they're all interconnected this way that way. I know with with a lot of obviously with the Marvel stuff. Yeah, like Sebastian Stan is an actor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because Hot Tub Time Machine exists. Yeah, yeah. And then he's also like, wow, that. The Winter Soldier look, looks a lot like this actor, Sebastian Stan, that was in the Hot Tub Time Machine, doesn't he? <laughs> like, you even think about stuff like that sometimes. Right, right. It's a fun rabbit hole to go down. Well, and they've been doing that. You know, uh, filmmakers have been doing that sort of stuff for a long time, hinting mm-hmm. at other other movies. And- Quentin Tarantino has, like, this Tarantino-verse. Yeah, Which has yeah. a lot of, like, same brands. Kevin Smith with, like, Mallrats and Chasing Amy, you'll see, like, what is it, the fast, the fast food? It's, like, Moody's or Moody's. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. He's got, the, and like the brand of cigarettes. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, because the the one about the Catholic Church that they did, Dogma. Yeah, that yeah. was that was sort of the equivalent of of Disney World. Or yeah, Mickey and stuff. So, it was Moody, Moody, or I don't know. It's either Moody's or Moobies or something like that. Yeah, with the yeah. big cow. False. It's a golden. False it's a golden God, cow. False idol. Yeah, it's a golden <laughs> calf. Oh man, it's creative, man. It's very, very creative. That yeah. stuff. So yeah, we'll definitely have to get amped up for that. I can't wait. And then I don't know, man. We've got uh, the rest of the weekend. I'll tell you, it's it's just been nice to to have people around. Yeah, uh, it's been a lonely ride since uh, October, and then getting back to land was nice. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people down at the marina that I I keep the boat at. So that was very cool. But then as soon as that temperature starts plunging and people are sort of hiding in their boats, myself included, <laughs> I don't know, that sort of loneliness and and everything goes in. I mean, my head is still all just messed up. But I don't know. I've talked about that enough on this podcast where people, people are probably pretty sick of it. But <laughs> I am definitely uh, making the turn for the better. Uh, I just still got to I gotta start buckling down and getting back in shape. That's for sure. And but. we just carboloaded with all that pasta last night. We're probably gonna have more of it tonight when we get home. Oh yeah, this is gonna be my my last hurrah. I think as far as just eating just really good, lots of food and yeah. having plenty of it. Well, and luckily the food that we were making, it's not bad. Oh no, it's not bad. It's not like we're popping off to Mickey D's. Exactly. Yeah. So I haven't breached that wall yeah. yet. Hope I don't, but uh. but it's like the balance of like in my apartment in Brooklyn. I walk. I mean, sometimes when I don't leave the apartment, I walk like eight hundred steps. 
Like there's no reason because I go from my oh, bed in, in an entire day. I mean, it's probably it's it's probably more than that, but not much. Because all I do is I go from my my bedroom to like make some coffee in the kitchen. Yeah. And I walk to my like little living room table where I have my work computer, and I just sit there and work. Wow. And then I'll get up and I'll like make some more coffee or make some tea or grab a glass of water. And then I go back and keep working. And you don't try and fit in some sort of little exercise routine. I have there? a calendar. And let's be honest here. No, I, I do. I can show you the, on my Google Calendar at 11.15, I have a calendar reminder every day, Monday through Friday, that says walk outside for like 15 minutes. <laughs> Verbatim, that's what it says. Uh, and every day, like clockwork, someone on my team will will set a meeting. Which is, it's exactly what they're supposed to do. It's 1,000% their job and my job to take it. Yeah. Um, but they'll set it on my calendar and they're like, did you mean to decline? The, the meeting that I just said, I'm like, oh no, that's just a recurring reminder to, yeah. to go outside and get some sunlight. <laughs> Ignore that. I need vitamin D and I need exercise. Yeah, exactly. I need my heart rate. To and, every day, it's, and every day, and every day, it's like, nope, not today. Maybe I'll try it again tomorrow. Right. Um, right. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 difficult sometimes to get out there. We Francesca and I have really enjoyed cooking a lot more at home. Mm-hmm. We always have. Um, but when you can't really go out to restaurants or everything becoming so much more expensive, what would we rather do? Like do a little bit of, of thinking ahead of time and then run an errand to get some groceries and then come home and cook it. I also don't, because I don't have to go to work like in an office, Yeah, I can stay home and like start braising short ribs at like one or two in the afternoon. Yeah. Wow. It you're... doesn't take long to set up. It's like, you know, in my, what would have been normally like a lunch break, I'll take that half hour, dice up some vegetables sear some meat, throw in some stock, and then by the time I'm done, right back to work, and it goes for like four or five hours. So it's easy to do. Yeah. Um, no, well, and that makes it... It is, yeah. It th- That's definitely one of the perks I think uh, a few people that I know have, have told me is, you know, since they've no longer needed to go into the office, and it doesn't, doesn't look like a lot of them will ever even go back to the office, mm-hmm. uh, because I think some places have found that they're able to run their business for the most part, at least in some departments, uh, from people, you know, satellites at home, you know, yep. which is crazy. It's crazy to think of, but. Although I do miss the dynamic of going to an office and having this, like a social element in my life. Well, cause before you worked with these guys, you were working in a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've been working, there's a stint in grad school where even then I was working at the hotel bar. Um, but even then I was surrounded by whether it was classmates or other like restaurant, not just in, like obviously people that I worked with at the restaurant, but the industry broadly, wherever you're working is also really supportive. Yeah. And we go to each other's restaurants and we get together and like, you know, in my case, it was lots of blind tasting groups and, and wine classes. And then distributors and reps would have these other classes that you were invited to. So you, you got to see a lot of the same people and the, the bonds within the industry itself is really great. Mm-hmm. And then when I got the, an office job, <laughs> I started going to the office every day. You know, there's obviously the sales team, which I'm a part of, but there's also the members of these other teams, design, marketing. And they're all there as well. And they're all yeah. there as well. So, so you get this sort of networking, social... Totally. I, I guess... I almost have to say old school social interaction, yeah. Because the no, new school social interaction, in a lot of ways, 
oh, it just has a screen in front of it, but you're still, you know, staring at a person. Like, yeah. At least we have that. Can you imagine if this whole thing happened and we still just it was analog telephones? Yeah, it'd be much more difficult. It would definitely like nineteen eighteen. Yeah, yeah, right. Like seventeen eighteen Spanish flu. Mm. Um, I think that my the, the company that I'm at has done a really great job of like we have like my larger team has a meeting once every two weeks and it's like with members of like the corporate leadership, the sales managers everyone that's a sales rep and everyone that's like a development person. So it's, it's like four, it's like three or four pages of like little faces yeah. in zoom now. Um, and then there's like the smaller teams within that, that get them much more regularly. And I think we've done a really great job of being not creative. That's the wrong word, but the channels that we have open to us, especially in my case, cause I'm so far removed. All the rest of everyone is in Chicago there's one other rep in New York City, and it's me. Oh, okay. So it's still you're working for the same company for yeah. Chicago. Yeah, but yeah. You moved to New York. Yeah. And that's obviously that's something that in the past wouldn't you would have had to been like, well, this is it. Got to move on. Yeah. It was it it was and it was a great transition again. Like they were very supportive. It just coincided with a global pandemic. So <laughs> yeah. Right. So something. And but luckily, like I became not the only. Like it wasn't just we got to deal with Jerome, who's now working from home. It's Everyone is working yeah. from home. Um, Did they shut down their offices like and get rid of them? Uh, so they shut down the offices for a few weeks. I'm, I, I wasn't involved in these conversations. I'm trying to remember, and right, I don't want right. to speak out of turn. But if I recall correctly, they shut it down for a few weeks. They tried to open on like a schedule, like Mondays and Wednesdays, these teams would come in. Tuesdays and Thursdays, these teams would come in. Because there is, outside of like the social dynamic, there is something to be said about the company that has like a design team and a marketing team. And a lot of the ideas that come out of that, that are like effective and successful happen in person just by being around people and having yeah. like meetings and getting together. And you lose that when everyone, like you can't just have zoom on nine hours a day, no, like definitely. in the corner of your, I apartment. know people that have to do that. Yeah. And I, I applaud their effort to just stay the course. Cause you can see you can see them physically drained at the end of the day because they've just been dealing with that sort of interaction. Yeah, and that's me. Like that's all I get. That we I've been doing some in person meetings with some restaurants around New York City, but generally, hundred percent of the internal like work is calls all right and, there, and like ninety percent now of, of the restaurant calls that I have are all done over Zoom. All of them or on the Golly. phone. Yeah. Um, so the the office tried to open. A few times, um, but with talk, it's a very exciting time for the company. We were acquired by Squarespace last year, last mm -hmm. spring, um, and the company itself has grown so much that we outgrew the offices that we had. Oh, really? So we're, we're, we're getting a new office, and it's supposed to be completed in like April, oh, and that's going to cool. be able to fit everybody. And that's in Chicago? Yep, that's oh, okay. in Chicago. Wow. So even if even if like it was open tomorrow, if like like the the thing disappeared and everything went back to normal tomorrow, we I don't know if Talk would have an office to go back to yeah, right. at the moment because it's not completed. Um, We're getting there. Yeah, and it's really exciting. It's it's going to be. I've seen some renderings. It looks gorgeous. Um, I'm going to fly back for it to to see the opening of it. So I yeah, can't yeah. wait. But you guys, you two, will always be out there in New York, right? Yeah, pretty much. That's your place. Yeah. That's cool. At least for now, for the next 
we re-signed our lease for the next year and a half. So we're definitely in New York City for the next year and a half. Nice, yeah. nice. Oh, well, that's very cool, man. Yeah. And then after that, like, we love the neighborhood. Our apartment's great. I think... Is it pretty safe? Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. Where, I, where we live, is it's very safe. There's not a lot of crazy people shouting and screaming when you get out on the street? There are definitely still crazy people that are shouting But you just ignore them, Yeah, right? they're not dangerous, really. Somebody, I can't remember what, I saw it somewhere, but they, they said, that's how you know a real New Yorker is if, if the crazy person starts shouting, a real New Yorker doesn't even look. But if you're from out of town, you're like, what is going on? Yeah, generally. That's, I'm, that's, and I'm not a new, I'm not like a real, I've, I'm not a real New Yorker. <laughs> right. From, you, but you've spent from years Indi- there. From Indiana, you right. know, lived in Colorado. I, I, I've lived in New York for a minute now, but I, I think, that, yeah, to some extent, when those things happen and I'm on like a phone call, I'll have to like, I just apologize and close the window. It's not like, oh my gosh, what's going on outside? Yeah, it's like, yeah. I'm so sorry. Hang on just one moment. And I sorry, we got a crazy down there at 2 yeah. o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's really safe. And the the community itself around us is just getting like m- more great restaurants are opening and more like little like there's a there's a new wine shop there's a new bakery uh, things like that are kind of opening more and more yeah so in my head this there aren't there weren't like closed storefronts to begin with some businesses closed but it wasn't it's not like this dilapidated street yeah yeah um i it's the buildings are shorter they're all brownstones so the streets are just lined with these three floor plus little garden level brownstone so instead of when we lived in the east village or or anywhere else in manhattan and you couldn't really see the sky yeah. because of all the buildings now it's it can be gorgeous outside and we get sunsets from the living room windows and it's it really really pretty oh that's cool that's yeah. cool yeah I, I have i always sort of envisioned it if you lived in manhattan you were just in the chaos and that's and that's kind of part of the appeal is that yeah i mean it's wall-to-wall buildings. There's just stuff everywhere. Yeah. There are probably varying degrees of it. Like, I never lived in a very, like, a, a luxury high-rise where, like, you can yeah. be removed from it. Like, where you can, you can be above all of exactly. it. Exactly. And, like, the doorman it. brings you your packages and all that stuff. Right, like, we, right. I never really had anything like that. I imagine that is one really great escape. Um, and there, are, you can probably go, if you lived in a building like that, from, to, like, the parking garage downtown and then get in your uber or your car drive to wherever you're going get out and you just ignore all of it yeah yeah exactly um, our we have a few subway stops that are really close to us like two blocks walking distance and that takes us pretty much anywhere in manhattan that we need to go mm-hmm. um is the subway scary no it's fine i must sound like the biggest wimp <laughs> in the world but it's just uh, you know i'm just not used to that stuff that i mean i i don't i wouldn't say i have trouble in an airport with that many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's only because airports are one of the few places that people act a certain way in an airport. You know, you have to, so you can't, you can't just be doing whatever you want to do. Yeah. Like, there's rules there. I think there's also like the price to entry is a couple hundred dollars. You have to go through security. Yeah. It's not like you, people go and hang out in airports right. anymore and they're not flying. Anymore. Right. I, remember, I, I do remember when you used to be able to go in and you just go right to the gate at the gate yeah. and stuff. Yeah. No, I, I, I think there's some like kind of qualifying there that's, that can be helpful for managing the riffraff. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, oh, the troubled yeah. riffraff. The, the the subways can be like dangerous. You know, you kind of do have to be like aware. I probably wouldn't take it, you know, if I got 
black out at three in the morning going home. Yeah, then um, it's like, give me a cab. Y- yeah, something like that. I, w- I just, and luckily I don't do that That part of my life. <laughs> yeah, you're old enough us. now, right? But um, no, I mean, they, they can be dangerous. It, and you, you, I, I wouldn't tune out the rest of the world if I'm on the subway and I don't. Yeah. Um, I'll have little AirPods in or headphones, but they won't be on noise canceling really. Just, just again, for just some case. awareness. Um, well, aren't there, I'd always heard stories too of, of people, uh, I guess you would call them like street performers that would be on the subway and they'd be playing something terrible <laughs> so that people would pay them to stop and move to the next car. <laughs> I haven't seen that strategy. That? No, it, I think a lot of the, and you'll see it especially now, I don't see as many uh, performers in the cars, like in the actual subway cars yeah. anymore, but they, I don't even know if they ever really left, but they're still very much in like the larger subway stations, like Union Square. There's, all, it's like a convergence of all these different lines. And so the actual space where commuters are, walking to, from one platform to another they're they're very big and very open so you'll get like bucket drummers or someone that has like pop songs instrumental versions and they'll be blasting it through an amp and like trying to sing or like violinists and stuff so it can be pretty cool yeah, yeah. there's a lot of great talent it's unfortunately most of the people that are going through there are like on their way to somewhere else yeah so it's not a lot of stopping and like oh well, yeah i gotta listen but it is yeah i mean you would think if you're trying to get over some fear of, of, of performing in front of people, that'd be a heck of a good way to do it. And it costs like two bucks to get through the subway and then... And it's warm. Yeah, and it's warm. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's not too bad. And you're totally right, too. You could do the same thing in like Madison Square Park and, and Union Square. Like you, you'll see performers just... They'll, they'll bring their amp, their little setup, and if it's like a guitar or a microphone or whatever, and they'll just they'll perform there yeah yeah and and i mean that's even common when i was in boulder like right down pearl street you'll get like people just pull out a guitar put the case right in front of them and just start playing music and kind of see what happens because you're you're totally right i think it's sometimes it is about an income and revenue and dollars and other times it's like playing in front of people petrifies me yeah, yeah. how do i get over like, how it do I get, it's risk-free man you're not going to run into people there's no there's no there's not gonna be one judging you they're all thinking about themselves well, that the <laughs> the girl who does who uh, sings the intro to this podcast, Adrian, she lived down in uh, New Orleans for years. Yeah, and that's what she did. She had her spot that she picked out. And she played music, and that's awesome. She does a lot of other stuff as well, uh, like yoga classes and things. But um, yeah, yeah, that was when she first got down there. That was the game plan. She was like, I just want to go, and I want to. She calls it busking. I think that's the proper term. For I think it. you're right. Yeah, yeah, that sounds to me. I I wouldn't have known that, but when you said it, I'd be like, oh yeah, that, yeah, I yeah. recognize that. It's like one of those words, like doldrums. People are like, I know that word, but yeah. I don't know what it's about. That's what my <laughs> book is gonna tell them. I love it. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's pause this for now and uh, get this fire rolling. Get I could probably use a little cup of coffee, but uh, we are already at an hour. Believe nice. It or not. So uh, we can. We and can, we haven't really talked about wine at all. I know. It's been can, amazing. We can cut in. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Well, let's just uh, just in case. Uh, I just want to say thanks for coming on the podcast again. You're now a regular. I love it. So you've joined the ranks of Sven. Yes. Yeah, which is that's lauded. That's 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 some pretty serious it's territory. Yeah. yeah, I think he's on. I I want to say he's done three. I can't remember. He gets so excited. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Good old Sven. Well, but- I feel like every time I I I talk to people, like especially with family, it's very easy for me to just fall into like the talking about wine. Um, it, it you know like Andy 
Andy Noel, Bill and Jane's Andy Noel. Yeah. We text a lot about about like wine and food and cooking and things like that. But then I also text them all the time, like physical therapy questions. Like, hey, is this supposed to be happening? Or oh, right, stuff right. like that. And I don't want to just fall into the trap of always talking about always talking to Andy if like my muscles are sore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's, he's an expert. No, and if, I know. And if he had questions about wine, I would want him to call me. Right. I want family to call me about about wine. Well, I love so- it when they call me about sailing, <laughs> that's for sure. But I, I understand that completely. I mean, there are there are definitely times I know when when I go to, you know, social events or things like that and I'm invited from somebody else and they're they're sort of bringing me there I always nowadays sort of have to pull them aside and be like listen can you just not introduce me as like the, the guy sailing. who sailed around the world yeah because I, I you can just say I'm a sailor that's yeah. fine like I'll 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 get into it but sometimes you know when when people say that instantly there's there's about 10 questions that come out yeah and that's the first hour uh, and it's like oh come on we don't we don't need to just kickstart it right yeah. away but yeah there was a we went to uh, the opening of a little small wine bar what like last week a few days i don't know four or five days ago now i, th- I guess and one of the like the industry people that i kind of known tangentially um i knew his, his brother was a former boss of mine boss's boss he was he was up there and they're all super nice people he owns a, a little pizzeria really amazing pizza mm-hmm. um like well-regarded, award-winning, not like your casual. It is a casual corner spot, but it's not bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I had questions about how he makes pizza, and I'm sure it's the questions he got all the time. Yeah. And I felt so bad because I'm sitting here trying to like come up with something more creative to ask him, but I'm very curious. Like, what wood does he use? What are the different temperature zones inside the oven? Like, how important is this? And I'm sure he's sitting there like, dude, I don't. This, like, I do this all day, every day. Break. Can we talk about like the Sonic and Hedgehog <laughs> movie or something like that? <laughs> and and I I did used to work at a at a pizzeria a long time ago. So it was it's it, it only fits three pizzas in the oven. It's wood burning. It's like nine hundred degrees in there. It takes a minute and a half to cook these things. And the guys who the guys who are making it were always moving them around. Yeah. Because you'd put it on the surface, and the surface would instantly cool because the dough was colder. And oh yeah, so you go like you you constantly and then like up to like to so you don't want the bottom to burn before the top has a chance to cook fully. So you kind of pick it up on the like the peel and and kind of hold it aloft so the top has a chance to kind of like melt and cook before the bottom starts to scald. And it's this constant game. And on a, like a busy dinner service on a Saturday night, like six pizzas in there. Oh, it's a whole. It's it, yeah. And, and there's a capacity too because you can't if one table gets six pizzas. That one table's food is going to be cooked all at the exact same time. Yeah, yeah. There's not roast chicken and steak and fish that they could get. It is 100% pizza. And if one of those pizzas gets messed up, what, you got five people get dinner? Yeah, right. And then the other one has to wait. So it's this constant magic act. It's amazing what these guys can do. It is. It's It's pretty cool, man. And the only thing I would ask is like, how does it work? And he's like, man, this is my night off. Yeah, right. (laughs) Just just drop I felt terrible. But it's it's, the, the people... This is something that we could talk about when we get back on the, and I, and I think I mentioned this to you the other day, the experts in different fields than mine, the people who use like jargon and who know things down pat are fascinating to me. Oh yeah. 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 They, you can sit down with somebody even, well, in any realm. I mean, it's, it's fascinating when I get to sit down with the old man and he takes me through, you know, what, what it's like to 
do the estimating and stuff for a big plumbing project. Yeah. It's like, holy cow. And he, he just, cause he's done it his whole life. So he knows every in and out of it. And yeah. I don't know. It is, it is pretty cool. And I, I think that's one of the fun things about these podcasts is, is that, yeah, I get to sit down and as much as I would like to, you know, I, I guess I would think that, Oh, if I'm going to have Jerome on, I better have, you know, we better just be talking about wine because that's all he knows. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's not like that. I, I think it's, it's far more interesting. Like you're saying is, you know, maybe you dabble in it here and there when we've already done that with the first one. Right. But I, I think it's, I think it's really interesting just getting to know the people behind their, maybe not their profession, but their passion and, mm-hmm. and what they're really good at it. So it's always fun just to chat and chat yeah. and, you know, you never know where it goes. Could be talking about hot tub time machine <laughs> again. For like 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll pause here and uh, hopefully we'll come back. back. All right. All right, man. All right. And we are back after a little break uh, for, for a little lunch. So we're just going to wrap things up. And actually, so Jerome, I, I was thinking about it and I think, I think I need to sort of put people on the spot sometimes. Okay. And, uh. In my life, ever since I got into sort of the adventuring sort of stuff, a lot of those things have to be done over a period of years. So I remember when I finished the Appalachian Trail, I needed to come up with my game plan for, you know, going around the world. Right. And it ended up being a five-year plan. And it was really the first time I had ever considered sort of life in that way. That makes any sense. And I remember, I, well, at least I remember from movies and stuff, you know, the guidance counselor saying, well, where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah. But that's exactly what I'm going to ask you right now. Or like job interviews. Well, yeah, <laughs> just about. So uh, what what do you see coming down the pipeline for the next uh, five years? You got any goals? Um, no. <laughs> Whoa, I'm catching him right off guard. Yeah, no, so... But you've I, got some big things coming up, too. Well, I just... The last decade has been kind of about how to set myself up for whatever the next thing is without an actual goal of what the next thing looks like no, or what it, it. what it could be. Yeah. Um, when I moved to Boulder, I had been working at this little brew pub in Indianapolis and I was also a history major from a little liberal arts school. So it's like, you can do anything, but also there's no path. You know, it's not like I went right. pre-med or, or you know, I... I Going for the bars. Like, like yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't take the LSAT. Um, so it's like, you can be a teacher or you work in restaurants. Um, and I got to Boulder with the, with the girl that I was dating at the time. She was going to law school and... I started, my goal there was to continue working in hospitality. Um, you know, my dad owned the fishing lodge in Canada. I'd be working at this brew pub. I was kind of interested in making beer. This could be kind of cool. Um, and I found Frosca food and wine, uh, I think in like Craigslist. And I read about it and did some more research about the people that were uh, that, that opened that restaurant and where they came from. And I was like, these are the guys that I want to work for. Yeah. And so I finally got there and I, I'm really happy that the manager at the time looked at me and <laughs> there's this little questionnaire about, um, you know, to kind of gauge the experience level that someone has to, to work at Frosca. And it's not like you have to have a, uh, 
like a sommelier degree or any kind of certificate or anything to work there, but it's helpful to know some like general information. Yeah. And there's this questionnaire and it asks about like what regions of Italy do you know and name three Italian white varieties of wine. I'm like, I haven't, I, I couldn't answer these if I, if I had all day. Like, <laughs> I didn't know anything about wine at the time. Didn't really know anything about food uh, at, at that level. Um, but the, I guess I, I interviewed well with, with the manager who kind of like chatted with me and I, they were hiring. It's like, what well, would you consider taking a job at, at, at here? And cause it was, Frosca Food and Wine, and then right next door, about eight months before, they'd opened Pizzeria Locale, which they shared a kitchen, but they're very different. Frosca Food and Wine is a like a uh, generally a prefix menu. It's like four courses. They have like guest chef events. They have an amazing wine cellar. It's run by a master sommelier, and his uh, his partner's a chef, and they came from the laundry from the French Laundry in California. So the standards were very high. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, Pizzeria Locale is a pizzeria. Yeah, it's 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 delicious. Um, the food's insane the attention to detail is really good the flavor profile is good but it's very specific neapolitan style pizza the oven was made in italy um and they have like wine on tap yeah you know it's not fine dining but it is run with fine dining standards so i thought that was exactly where i wanted to be you know instead of wearing i think at the time it was brown i think it was brown pants i can't remember what they had at frost but it's like a long apron and a, and a nice starched dress shirt and at locale, we wore like a, a polo and black jeans. Yeah. Like yeah. black denim and casual. like sneakers. Yeah. But again, really high focus on doing things the right way. The, the Between the process, the ingredients, and the hospitality, and cleaning up, and like every aspect of it, you were expected to, to do it the right way. Yeah. If no one was looking or if they were, you know? Right, right. Um, and I kind of took that to heart. I took it really seriously. So I was very lucky to kind of walk in the day that I did and and <laughs> get a job and I was there for a few years and then I, I kind of felt my time in Boulder was ra- was wrapping up dad was v- you know very encouraging to look at Cornell for grad school and I kind of kept pushing him off and off and off and then I was like actually this might be a good idea because <laughs> yeah. you start to learn more about the industry and you realize how many people have gone through the hotel school at Cornell and who have emerged to be amazing restaurateurs operators business people um, and they're people that I genuinely did look up to. So I looked more into that and I decided if I'm going to leave Boulder or if I'm going to leave Boulder, I either do what I'm doing in Boulder, but in like another city like Chicago or I, or Cornell, I get accepted there. I wasn't applying in mass to different hospitality programs. It was just, if I get into Cornell, I'll go there. If not, I'll just go to Chicago and keep doing what I'm doing here. Yeah. Because the idea was whatever the next thing was would set me up for the thing that came after. Right. So I, I worked at Pizza Locale for a few years. I passed the certified exam through the Court of Master Sommeliers, which was really cool. So I kind of had this wine, food, and beverage track. I had zero business experience. Yeah. I hadn't opened Excel ever. <laughs> There's a lot of blocks. <laughs> exactly. It's a spreadsheet. There's no reason for me to do it. Um, I took a, a accounting class in, in college. It was basically like how to read a 10K. Yeah. But that was it. So I thought that going to the hotel school would get me connected directly to the industry to a, to the level of the industry of which I wanted to be a part of. And I could probably learn something about how to run a business. Um, and both those things really happened yeah. at, at Cornell. It was awesome. So I, again, knowing kind of the alumni and the network that came out of that school, I was like, well, who, how is this going to set me up for the next thing? 
and with Cornell on my resume and the, and the networking, I was able to get plugged into uh, Danny Myers Restaurant Group, Union Square Hospitality in New York. And again, kind of right place, right time, fortunate enough that one of the restaurants, uh, one of his newer restaurants was hiring a sommelier and I was able to, to get that job. And okay, now I've had a sommelier job in New York City. You know, like that's, that's kind of a, an important thing that I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't take it for granted, but I didn't recognize my boss actually had it. Tell me like, no, you're somebody in New York. This is, this is not a, it's not a small deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're a, a, a select small group of people that, that have an expertise yeah. that's pretty up there. And I learned so much. Like I, 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 there's a, there's another person at USHG that really, I mean, everyone really did, um, try to focus the wine program as you're, as you're running a business within a business. Like wine directors have a small staff of sommeliers at 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 the time. Yeah. You were in charge of ordering and in charge of pricing and in charge of selling and in charge of, you know, building out the wine list and making sure that you have enough wines for everybody that wants to spend money on wine. If it's like a first date and you don't know anything about wine, there should be a bottle for you. If you're a serious collector and you don't mind spending five or six hundred dollars on one bottle, there's a bottle for you. So you have to be able to not, not leave money on the table, but also have it be approachable. And all, there's a ton of other dynamics, running an inventory, making sure that everything's up to date. There's no like fraud and waste and abuse. And all of this stuff was really important. It was a crash course in that over two years with Union Square. But it did, I, I'm getting, yeah, I'm definitely getting that sense of, it was just, you're sort of setting yourself up and then the next thing came. Yeah. And it's like, oh, so there really was never, it wasn't, you know, Five years ago, you were like, "Dang, I really just want to be no. a psalm in New York." Yeah, and there, and I think I, for me, that's worked well and kind of similar to, to the the sommelier profession itself. From my perspective, this isn't everyone's experience, but for me, it very much allowed me to have structure, but a lot of freedom and white space within that structure. You know, at Fred, when I was at Petri Locale, it was very easy for me to look up to the owner, Bobby Stuckey, who's an MS. I think I mentioned him on the podcast last time, and was like. I want to do, I want to be like him. Yeah, yeah. That's the guy I want to be like. Um, because at the time, it's very easy to be like, oh, I've been bartending here for about a year. Then I'll go bartend down at that restaurant for a little while. And then I might move and then like bartend around that town. Like, no, Sommelier had like the, the court with tests that you could pass. Or you can go into like wine production and you can, there's, there's, there's more... There's a different like some organization that really focus on viticulture and vinification. Yeah, you can go a in, few branches basically. Yeah, and you can go on like the sales side or importing and distribution, and so it, it's there's a lot of white space within this industry. Same as everyone, I just didn't know about it until I actually got there. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. It wasn't like in five years I want to pass the advanced, or in five years I want MS by my name. Right. I want to open a restaurant. It was nothing like that for for better or worse because it did give me a lot of flexibility. By the time I was finishing up at USHG. Again, I kind of thought it was time for a move. What am I kind of missing on my resume? Well, I've never like worked harvest at a winery. So right. I, I, again, like kind of the Cornell USHG network, I got an opportunity to work harvest for four months in Washington State um, from like August to November. The whole process. Um, learned a ton and then moved to Chicago. And I was like, okay, I think I'm going to be ready to actually run a, a, run a wine program. And by the time I got there, the, like the wine director, wine manager position was also very much looped into like general restaurant management, mm -hmm. which is fine. It's exactly what restaurants should be doing is 
can we be successful? Can we be profitable? Can we be exciting and dynamic? But also, we can't afford to have eight managers. We yeah, can't have like yeah. a beer manager and a wine manager and then liquor and then like just operations and it's way too many salary yeah, positions. The bottom line doesn't work. Exactly. So um, I realized at the time that I wanted to be like a, a direct, like just a, a, a wine director and focus solely on that side of the business. Um, and it wasn't what I was doing at the time. I was being pulled into management of the entire floor team. I was part of this great manager group. Everyone there was awesome. I loved the restaurant group that I was with, but it just, it wasn't what I was looking for at the time. And it might not even exist anymore because <laughs> you can't afford, restaurants can't afford a solo wine manager anymore, you know? Right, right, yeah. So, and that's fair. It's exactly, again, what it's responsible business practices. So at the time, my, my fiance at the time, it was also kind of exhausting for me to get home at like one or two in the morning three or four nights a week, you know? And, Wait, and, your fiance at the time? Yeah, she at the, at the time, so she was not my fiance at the time, but who later, Francesca. Oh, oh, I yeah. thought there was just a, no, sorry. a previous fiance. No, at like, the time. Wait a minute, at whoa, the, cousin. No, at the time <laughs> in Chicago, she was like, you know, she didn't come out directly, I don't think, and say this, but we both knew like, this isn't sustainable. There's gotta be, there's gotta be a different move. Yeah. I think often when people are coming out of, working the floor of a restaurant in a wine role, they go to distribution and, and importing where they're working either directly with wineries, bringing the wine over, or they're working directly with restaurants selling the wine. Yeah. Um, and I, none of those really revved my engine personally. They're super important to the wine world, but I didn't feel like the thing that I wanted to do was, um, bring samples of wine to like five or six different restaurants every day and try to convince them to have this on their wine list instead of something else. Mm -hmm. Um, but Nick Konis and his team of very smart Googlers and designers and marketers and engineers had built this reservation platform called talk. And I was floored by the opportunities that this could give restaurants. And I wanted to use it where I was working. Yeah. And so I knew that, or at least I hoped that some of what I've been doing for the last five years, whether just knowing the restaurant jargon or just knowing the industry or working in a few different cities would give me kind of a leg up in a sales role at talk because I think a lot of their sales staff came from other like business tech sales roles. Right. And not the, actual not the thing, industry, the product exactly. essentially that they're trying to sell. Exactly. You know? And so, um, they, the COO was willing to, take a risk, bring on someone from the industry. And, um, I am super grateful for it. <laughs> yeah. How long you've been with them now? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Wow. Yeah. But again, it, it was never like, you know, what, what's my end goal in five years? Where do I want to be? Do I want to be back in New York? Do I want to be working in tech? Do I want to be in restaurants at all or not? I never had those thoughts when I was working harvest or when I was in Chicago. Yeah. And, and now I think it really has set me up. I take my role kind of similar. I'm a sales rep. I'm an account executive, but I, I very much follow this style as like a like consulting, like con consultant sales approach, basically consultative. Yeah, and it's because of that knowledge that you acquire. Yeah, and the tools that Talk allows restaurants to have. So we, I can really talk to an operator during like a sales call and just ask them what are they kind of struggling with, or would this be helpful, or this is what I would do. 
and right. kind of bounce ideas off. And it seems to be a great way for me to exercise again that restaurant operations role without having to worry about <laughs> scheduling and payroll. Yeah, and inventory. yeah, right. Uh, that's um, a, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, because I, I don't know. I previous to to sort of the adventure stuff, I really didn't. I think I was more along that same line where, you know, I was teaching sailing at this one place and then working on boats in Florida and taking deliveries. So I for. 10 years or so, I was just constantly in the sailing industry in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And much like you, I, I, I bounced around through it, uh, quite a bit. And I, I mean, I, I suppose I found my niche probably at, in running water sports centers. Like that was sort of where I was really performing pretty well. And then also enjoying it. The only problem is I found that I was enjoying it so much that everything else in my life disappeared. Yeah. Um, you know, I missed weddings, funerals, everything, because I also was in the Caribbean for right. the vast majority of that. Yeah. But, you can't just skip back for yeah, a, a long weekend. Exactly. And it, it did. I, I remember sort of realizing there was so much that I was missing out of life, even though I was I was like full on enjoying what I was doing. Right. But, you know, I, I, it was the strangest thing. People would be like, dude, you're working like 14 hours today and you're, you want to do more? And I'm like, yeah, cause <laughs> it's like, we're doing, it's getting better. But yeah, I don't know. But yeah. Okay. So no five year plan. You're just going to keep winging it. I, I really like love wild west fucking gunslinger. Yeah. I really, I really love working at talk. Um, I, I hope that in that sometime in the future, my career will kind of swing back to wine, whether it's, whether it's with talk, I, and there's some really exciting things about working with wineries that we do for to help them manage their like tasting room appointments and and things. And we started doing some direct to consumer uh, wine offerings, especially over the holidays. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't been involved in any conversations if we're going to continue down that path or what that looks like. But it, it, hospitality and food and beverage and wine is always at least within arm's reach. Yeah, and I think it's going to continue to be. Um, Oh, I think there's going to be a big boom in it pretty soon here. Once once things really like open wide up, and people will be like, "All right, let's do this. We need a vacation." I think there's going to be this major influx of people traveling, people getting out there. We're already kind of seeing it. Actually, I talk to a lot of wineries on Long Island and like the Finger Lakes region within like New York State, not Sonoma or Napa, just New York State. Yeah. And something that's been coming up more and more recently is that people that are early to mid thirties, maybe even late twenties, maybe early forties who are starting to value and who always probably have, but now have the money and the means to travel and value experiences like that. Mm-hmm. They're looking and they're along like Google maps and they're zooming in on long Island and they're seeing all these wineries and they're making a plan of like day one, day two, day three, day four, they're staying at this place. Let's rent a car. We're going to go to this winery. We're going to go to this winery. Yeah. They expect to be able to make reservations if they can't see like a book, a table or make a reservation or, or book an appointment on Google maps, they'd be like, well, I guess we're not, we're not going to do can't that. Can't go one. there. Wow. That's and they go to the next one. So, and not everyone, like you can right. still like call. And this is another problem. If you're who, okay. First of all, if you're a guest and you're on Google maps, it's two in the morning. Are you going to call and leave a message for an appointment? No. And then when they call you back to confirm it, are you going to answer? You're going to be at work. Yeah. Right. And then you're going to email them. I'm so sorry. I just got your voicemail. I'd love to show up. And then a day later, you get an email confirming it, and you're like, oh, I already made an appointment, then I'm sorry. That sounds so archaic. Now. I know. 
And that's what I, that's my <laughs> entire job is to tell wineries precisely that. If you, <laughs> di- you digitize anything in this world and it will yep. take it over so fast. Yep. And I have a screen video of like what talk looks like through like Instagram where you don't even have to leave the winery's profile to make a reservation on talk. You can literally like find the picture in the stories, hit the picture and go, oh, this is really pretty. Hit the profile, hit the reserve button, up oh, pups talk, select the day, select the time, you're done. Wow. Versus and, like calling. And it's right now primarily where does where is talk being used most? What cities? Uh, or is it all over? Chicago, it's all over. Chicago has been, because our headquarters are there and, and Nick Akonis and the team are, are, are from Chicago. So we have a pretty great base of, of restaurant partners there and other mm-hmm. businesses. Napa, Sonoma, um, Willamette Valley. I mean, even up here, man. Really? Yeah. So, like well, Lake Lille now? Yeah. Ton, like a few wineries, I can pull it up. It's pretty cool. And is this is this something where is that is that kind of what you do is is reach out to these places and and basically sell them on becoming part of the talk family? Yep. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Here, let me pull up this winery page and I'll show you uh, what it what how many we're working with. That's pretty interesting. I see. Yeah. I mean, I I knew what you were doing. But I didn't really know what you were doing. <laughs> That's fair. It's like, yeah, I work at a restaurant. Yeah, uh, but I, I'm never. I don't think I ever asked what position. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, and I and I don't speak for talk. I'm not up here being a spokesman, but just personally, um, I think it's it's the best booking platform for for hospitality industry. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. I get it. I get it now. Yeah. I'm I'm slowly becoming less and less archaic, but <laughs> I say what one of the things that happens with me every time I go out to sea for an extended period of time, I get so used to the low level input that it's sort of I'm very standoffish when I get back to land. Where mm-hmm. I'm I'll I'll go this time when I got back I went weeks without looking at YouTube, without looking at any of that stuff, yeah. and I just because I didn't want it to invade my brain at all. Yeah, I I was enjoying just the fact that I could sit and look at you know the clouds or a sunset for a while, without wanting to constantly pick up my phone. Yeah. Fast forward to now, I'm on land for six weeks, and my phone's right here next to me. It's yeah. Like, oh, I did it again. <laughs> I spoke but. to Francesca this morning, and it's like, I, I leave my phone places around here, and I forget about it, and it is liberating. Yeah, right. You know, it's very nice to be like, oh, where the hell did I put that? Yeah, exactly. When was the last right? time I was using it? It was a while ago, wasn't it? <laughs> like, that feels very nice. Is it charged? Nice. Wait, what? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I think I think we'll, uh, we'll probably wrap it up right there. Um, Always long, long ways of answering your only question was yeah I, I don't know. know what's your five year plan well don't, don't let me one. go into a tirade yeah, about exactly. my last five years yeah <laughs> no I, I <laughs> no 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 it's, it's it's been it's been really fun it's and again it's that it's that movement into the white space and not being like no I'm I'm fixated on this plan yeah it 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 for better or worse again like if I if I got to USHD in New York and it was like in five years I want to be a master somebody who knows if I could have done it or not but. I would probably still be in New York. Yeah, I would have yeah. been running wine, a wine program at a restaurant, studying a lot. Um, and I don't know what what life would have looked like and if it would be better, if it would be worse, be more money or less money, more industry connections, less industry connections. But in that time, I have lived in a few different cities around the country. I've been back to Italy a lot. It's been yeah. awesome. I've gotten to know programs like Salesforce and Slack. I've become a more... I think 
detail oriented, structured person in like my day to day work. It's everything that I've that I've done has I've I've really tried to take the best of it and build habits around it and become a better fill in the blank. You know, whether it's appreciating restaurants more mm-hmm. or whether it's appreciating the organization like my calendar or it's appreciating going out to dinner at, at seven or having weekends off that because I was never really able to do that when you're working in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. No, true, true. Ah. Well, and I mean, we might have to do a whole nother podcast about it, but you're about to jump into the ring of the married man. <laughs> Something and that's an adventure that terrifies me beyond belief. <laughs> it seems to be a common thread though that when I ask like cousins and friends to get married, I'm like I'm kind of joking, like, oh, what's different? And they're like, nothing. Yeah, Nothing's yeah. Well, different. how long have you and Francesca been together? Seven years. Seven years. So you're common law married anyway. Basically, yeah. So she could get she gets everything already. <laughs> <laughs> I never th- when you put it that way. Yeah, right. <laughs> now I'm starting to think. Yeah. Well, I absolutely love having you on the podcast. It's always super interesting. And uh, thanks, man. I'm sorry we didn't get into wine that much. If you want to do a quick follow up and just get another bottle, maybe tomorrow. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll do it. I I still think, man, you got to do that. Uh, either a YouTube channel or a TikTok half channel, in half in the bag, where an advanced psalm basically critiques the worst wines. Yeah, they only come in boxes. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there, I, you know, it's like sometimes Gatorade, like Gatorade has all the flavors. No one knows them. It, red, yellow, orange, blue. Yeah, yeah. Like Franzi kind of sometimes is like that. Too. Yeah, right. Other box wine. I mean, it's it's not really like that because it says like Pinot Noir or Chardonnay, but. Well, they, they do in the grocery store now. I mean, there is, there's always, yeah, Franzi is the big, big one everybody knows, but there's a ton of boxed wines different labels, all sorts of stuff now. And I, I don't know. I know a lot of people that, that get those because they're a little more convenient. Uh, you know, I, I have friends that always have a box of wine on their counter mm-hmm. um, just because they don't have to open it, close it. Yeah. They don't have to drink the whole thing if they don't want to. And there's know? great, there's great boxed and, and like, or the wines that come in like the bags. Mm-hmm. There are, there are great producers that are starting to do that more and more yeah. because of, environment and because it's less expensive and because like there's probably a few different reasons well, for it. Well, it's got to be less expensive because it's definitely not about the environment. Yeah. Glass is the but most been, environmentally friendly. You can just throw it in the glass. I guess is, that's true. Glass is sand, man. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it I takes a long of? time for it to decompose, but it's not it's not like plastic, plastic that's breaking into pieces and then fish are eating it and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, you throw a bottle in the sea and it sinks, you're you're creating essentially a little ecosystem for something to live in it until eventually it gets covered up by silt, the silt of the sea. Yeah. Yeah. The, well, I actually technically most, uh, I believe most of the seafloor and I, I probably dead wrong about this, but I believe it's the almost microscopic shells of the coccolithophore, which is a, a type of, uh, it's like a plankton, I believe, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, biomass is probably makes up half of the entire planet. And it's just constantly raining down just this little piece of calcium from its shell. And those those are just raining down in the trillions in the ocean. Huh. And but they're so small, but they slowly fill it up. I mean, that you, you get on the sort of uh what's the best way? Like the the cosmic scale or not the cosmic scale, but like the planetary scale of some of these ecosystems out on those oceans. Oh my God. I used to always, I think my, my biggest realization was when I started going and sailing through the krill fields Mm -hmm. in, uh, 
the Indian Ocean and just realizing I, I scooped up a bunch of them and the krill are only the size of like an ant. Yeah. But I'm looking out at the ocean and I'm thinking, holy cow, okay, there's literally trillions and trillions of these. And that's how all these whales. I was which, about to ask, like, there's probably millions of whales and they're eating krill. They can't get that big eating nothing. Yeah. And you're just like, okay, so I've been sailing through this krill for days now. That's hundreds of miles. It's probably big, sir. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's always been pretty amazing, the stuff that you pops in the old head. Yeah. All right, man. Well, before we just start rambling on yeah, too yeah. much, but uh, thank you again. Always love having you. You're you're a repeat offender on the on the podcast now. So thanks, man. I'm happy to be here. This is always tons of fun, and and it's uh, just another benefit of being able to come up here and look where we are and look what we get to do. There we so go. Thank you. All right. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks for listening.